Hello, my name is David Rice. Welcome to the Once in a Blue Moon podcast. That's sort of a joke because I do podcasts every six months or somewhere around there. But today I did not want to do video. I just want to talk to you. And I want you to listen to what I have to say because things are changing rapidly in our world. And yet in a greater and a broader sense they continue on the track on which they have run for thousands of years. Let us start at the beginning. God created and everything was great. And then his chief angel decided to rebel. Oh, you've seen the story. You watched the Star Wars movies. That was Satan's view of what happened. You see, in God's story, the good guys are the ones who wear white and march in lockstep and do exactly what they are told when they are told. But in Satan's point of view, it is always the rebel who is the hero. And in Star Wars, certainly the soldiers in lockstep wearing white were the bad guys. And the rebels who fought for freedom were the good guys. And that story continues. And then we got to Eden and the beautiful garden and Satan came and quoted scripture, quoted God Almighty to Eve. He only twisted it a little bit. He just added a question mark at the end. But it worked and mankind fell. But men would build and fill the earth. But Satan would send his angels and mankind would go to the bottom. And the angels would mate with human women and form giants. And the Bible says the great men of old, the, the titans, the old heroes, the ones we make movies about, you know, Thor and Apollo and that crowd. And they existed. Yes, they did. And some of the other books that we don't have in our Bible, but which the Jews consider scripture, like the book of Enoch, for example, even gives us the names of the fallen angels and the very things, the evil things that they taught to mankind. And the day came when Almost all of mankind was mixed, and only one family of pure blood, of pure genetics, of pure DNA was left alive on the face of the earth. And that was Noah and his sons. And we aren't sure of his sons, you know, because certainly after the flood, the uh, giants came back, the Nephilim came back, and it is said that it was through 
one of Noah's son's wives, that that became possible? I don't know. But I do know that after the flood, the earth was being replenished with pure human beings again. But suddenly there were Nephilim, there were giants, and they would continue in the land until the time of Moses. And when Moses went into and took the people into the promised land, they ran into the sons of the Nephilim, and God told them to kill them all, but they thought that was cruel, and they did not obey God, and they let some of them live, and today we suffer because that genetic line continues, and these are the elite who control our lives, and our being, the elite who are about to bring about this great reset, this new world order, this kingdom of the beast. And one great Nephilim, a powerful man, a giant, came and he began to build a tower at Babel, and it was a temple. It was huge. After it fell, we're told, that one-third of it was swallowed in the ground and the top third was taken out by lightning. But what remained was three full days' walk for a man around the base. That's much bigger than the artists have portrayed it. But nonetheless, it was there to create a stargate. And this stargate would release again the angels who had been locked up by God Almighty. And God looked down from heaven, and he came down with his counsel, and they looked at what was happening. And I don't think God was particularly impressed. But God said, if we leave them alone, like they are, all with one language and one culture, then they will be able to do whatever they set their minds to do, and nothing will be impossible for them, and that would, of course, include freeing the angels who were locked up by God and allowing mankind to again become mixed as a mixture between angels and men and would allow the angels to rule the world and Satan to be the god of the world. But God Almighty had an answer. Yes, he did. His answer was to divide the people. And we're told that it was either 70 or 72 groups into which he divided them. And he divided them by language. And you can imagine the shock and the disbelief and what went on that morning in Babylon when everybody discovered that they could no longer communicate with their neighbor. And they headed out into the whole world and they divided up by languages and by tribes and nations. 
and the world was divided. And that was, I suppose, other than the cross of Jesus Christ, the greatest blow to Satan's kingdom that has ever happened. It destroyed his hopes, and his work was finished. But he did not give up. He began immediately to try to place the world back together, to reunite mankind. And he tried with force, and he tried with religion. And for a while, Egypt ruled most of the world, but it was never complete. And then along came Alexander the Great and Greece, and what a tremendous idea. They not only militarily united the world, but they gave the whole world a single language. Within a hundred years or so, there was not a man or a woman or a boy or a girl to be found in all of the civilized world who did not speak Greek. That was a victory. And then along came Rome and captured Greece, and the whole world still spoke Greek, and the Romans never tried to teach them Latin, because Greek would work, and even their soldiers spoke Greek. And they could communicate with the people wherever they went. And so now under a huge power that controlled probably 90% of the known world at one time, we had a world without borders and a world united by a common language. It seemed like Babel was undone and Satan had won, but God Almighty uses all things for his glory and for our good and that which Satan had accomplished in the world by uniting it militarily and politically and with a single language was a wonderful thing for the gospel and the gospel of Jesus Christ spread quickly around the world and when the roots of the gospel were taken up in every nation and among every people, it seemed, on the face of the earth. Then Rome fell apart, and people forgot how to speak Greek, and the world was again divided into nations and tribes and tongues and races. But he would try again, and through the Muslims, through the Roman Catholic Church, oh, even through Hitler, and through Hitler's opponent, Stalin. And oh, yes, we fought Hitler. America fought Hitler. Hitler killed seven million Jews, and that was awful. And that was his attempt to come against the God of heaven. But in fighting Hitler, we sided with Stalin, who did not kill seven million Jews. He only killed 20 million Christians. And for us that was good. Because he did not take over Europe and we controlled Europe. And Russia had a part of the world in which we had little or no interest. We didn't care for those people. They were of no financial benefit to us. 
So we let Stalin have them and godless atheism and for 70 years in total, just like the Jews in Babylon. Remember 70 years? Well, the Soviet Union, strangely enough, lasted 70 years. That's just an amazing little rabbit trail there. But you know, as we came out of the time with the Roman Catholic Church running the world and England was established and England became Anglican, which is basically Roman Catholicism without a Pope. But that was a division. But Protestants, starting with Lutherans, were growing. And the world was divided. Even the church was divided. We had Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, Roman Catholicism, Anglicanism, Lutheranism, Baptists and Methodists and Presbyterians and Episcopalians and God only knows how many groups the church was divided into. And some of it was so far away from the gospel and the truth of scripture that it cannot be counted as church, even though it would have called itself and continues to call itself a part of the church. But it has little or nothing to do with scripture or the gospel. But the witchcraft continued. Oh, what had come out of Babylon, even though the temple was destroyed, it came out of Babylon after that tower fell. And it went to Egypt, and the Egyptians gave the gods Egyptian names and added to the story, and then Greece picked it up, and they changed the names again, but it was the same characters and the same story, but they added their own little story to it. And then the Romans came, and they added their story to it. And then the Catholic Church came along, and they picked up all of that and they simply baptized the ancient gods and oh Osiris became God the Father and Horus became Jesus and Isis became Mary and we had a worldwide pagan religion that called itself Christianity and used Christian words and names but whose ordinances and teachings were much more along the line of the ancient Egyptian gods and Babylonian mysticism. Yeah, it's, it's been mixed up. But there was this trilogy that was forming because the Vatican ruled much of the world through the Catholic Church. And then there was England. And England appeared to be separated, but they continued the same pagan worship, and they were harassing and persecuting Bible-believing Christians, the saints of God. Christians were being burned at the stake. But it wasn't just Christians, you understand. The Christians were burning witches and warlocks at the stake. Yeah, both sides were burning each other. 
In Fox's Book of Martyrs, he tells of the day in which a Roman Catholic and an Anglican were burned the same day at the same site, sentenced to death, one by a Catholic judge and the other by an Anglican judge, both accused of and convicted of heresy by the other side. And it was confusing. But America was formed. Let me tell you a little bit of that story. Let's start with Christopher Columbus. Now, you have to understand that Christopher Columbus didn't just discover America. America had been discovered. They knew basic things about America through the Nordic peoples and others who had actually been here and knew it was here. And they knew there was stuff over here. They didn't know anything about it really, but they did know. And Columbus wanted to come to America. And he began to work in that direction. And that year, 1492, was quite a year. The largest Jewish community in the world, hundreds of thousands of people, existed in Spain. And Spain had for 800 years been under the control of Muslims who had come up from Africa and Africans held white Spaniards as slaves in their own land for 800 years. And that's a very long time. But in 1492, the last of the Muslim conquerors had been chased out and sent back to Africa, and Spain was free. Only Spain was controlled and run by the Catholic Church and a Catholic monarchy. And having rid itself of the Muslims, the next thing on their calendar was to rid themselves of the Jews. And so they did. And in the first months of 1492, Ferdinand and Isabella issued a proclamation in which they gave every Jew in Spain 30 days to leave the country or convert to Catholicism. And they tried to leave the country, but they were killed. Those who took ships were charged exorbitant fees, taken two days to sea, and thrown overboard by captains who returned with their ships to take more Jews. And if they went by land, the word got out that they had swallowed gold and diamonds and the brigands and the soldiers at the borders would knife them to death and cut open their stomachs looking for gold and diamonds. And many, many of God's people died that year. And Ferdinand and Isabella, who had been broke, bankrupt, were suddenly wealthy beyond imagination because they took all of the Jewish estates, all of the Jewish gold and all of the Jewish silver and all of the Jewish artwork, and they collected it together, and suddenly everything that had belonged to the Jews now belonged to Ferdinand and Isabella, and they were rich with money. And then Columbus came to know a Catholic priest who happened to be the queen's confessor, 
You know, the guy that when the queen went down and sat in a little booth to confess her sins, the priest who heard her confession? Yeah, him. He met Christopher Columbus and liked him, and he introduced Christopher Columbus to the queen. And the queen liked him, and the queen introduced him to the king, and sure enough, they had the money to do it now. And so using the money stolen from the Jews, they financed Christopher Columbus and his voyage. And his diary, when he started his voyage, starts out in the same year that their majesties issued the decree. Yeah. And so it was money stolen from God's people that formed America, and the United States and some of the countries in South America would become the next great free haven for the Jews. And when we went to fight the revolution, the number one financial supporter of the revolution was a Jewish businessman in Boston who underwrote George Washington and the Revolutionary Army. Did you know that? And so it was God's money that financed the revolution. But you see, everybody thinks that it was the Christians who founded America, and yes, all the Protestants, the Christians had been so greatly persecuted in Europe, and they had fled, and they had come to this country, and they had formed their towns and their cities, and they were Christian, and they were free, and they were God's people, and some of them were close to the Bible, and some of them hadn't seen a Bible in ten generations, but they were Christians. But that's not who founded the United States of America. No, it isn't. You see, years after they came, all the way up into the beginning of the 1700s, the very late 1600s, 1700s, oh, the Catholic Church began to get so interested in America. But America was Protestant, and if you sent priests, even Jesuits, they would be rejected. Just rejected offhand. Yes, they would be. You know they would. The, the people who had fled the persecution in Europe are going to accept Catholic priests. No, it's not going to happen. But the church, the Catholic church, would go through England. And early in the 1700s, they formed a secret society. And this secret society is the Masons. And yes, their proclaimed ties back to the ancient crusaders are valid. And yes, the secrets that they hold go all the way back through Babylon to Egypt. And the Egyptian gods are still there. And the Egyptian and the Babylonian mysticism form the basis for all of their worship. And yes, they claim it's a religion. You can see it in their books. It is a religion indeed. And they form this group. And the foundation of this group were Jesuits from the Catholic Church. And today it's come back to haunt them. 
I mean, Pope Francis is a Mason, and most of his senior bishops are Masons, and the Masons now have taken over even the Catholic Church. But in the early days, they would appear to be Protestant. And all that witchcraft and, and all of that stuff, yes, it works. And it took off among the wealthy people and those who became Masons who weren't wealthy became wealthy. Because the devil who offered Jesus Christ all the kingdoms of this earth will make you the same offer and he made them the same offer and, and they took it and they are still taking it. And these wealthy businessmen, these Masons came to America in the 1700s. And it was they, not the Christian pilgrims. It was the rich British gentlemen, the members of the secret societies, who were busy dividing the United States up into 13 colonies. And yes, that's attached to the old story. I mean, Set killed Osiris and cut him into 13 pieces, 14 pieces. And Isis sewed him back together. But she couldn't find, well, his private parts. And so she made the 14th part and used it to impregnate herself. And this story was very much in the minds of the Masons as they were certain to divide this nation into exactly 13 colonies. And then they sewed it together just like the old story. And then they needed a capital. <laughs> they were missing a 14th part, and so they made up an artificial part that was not really part of any of the colonies, and they placed it in the middle and to this day, they believe that out of Washington, D.C. will come Apollo, Horus, Apollyon, Abaddon, that he will rise in the body of a president of the United States and go on to rule the world from Jerusalem. Yeah, they really believe that. And you can read it in their books. I mean, their books are available online. You can order them. Don't take my word for it. Read their words and how they proclaim these things and how at their great temple in Washington, D.C., every time a president dies, they do an Apollo rising ceremony right there a few blocks away from the Capitol and the White House. And they believe that the day will come when it really takes, and Apollo really rises to rule the world, and I would guess that that day is soon. But you see, we lied to ourselves as a church, and we let them lie to us. And we told ourselves that the members of the secret societies were simply good businessmen. They were moral. They were upstanding citizens. They owned the businesses all over the country. And we bought our goods from them and we worked for them in their companies. And we didn't know. Oh, but 
We looked at Washington, D.C. We looked at that marvelous Egyptian phallic symbol called the George Washington Monument, and we told ourselves it was just a statue, just a, a wonderful thing celebrating the life of George Washington. And we saw the dome of the Capitol with its pagan idols sitting on top and the painting of the apotheosis of Washington under the dome where Washington is shown sitting on a throne in heaven surrounded by all of the ancient Greek gods. And we said it's just artwork. And they put up the Statue of Liberty. Oh, and it was easily available to know that the artist who, who designed it, designed it with the goddess Libertas in mind. Oh, and we knew it was an idol to a goddess. I mean, you can't miss the fact that it is an idol to Liberty or Libertas or whatever name you want to give her. Isis is a good one. Same gal. And we filled our capital with all sorts of pagan idols and pagan artwork. And we have all of these little uh, gnomes and things sticking out from our buildings. And we designed all of our government buildings as, as Greek temples. Oh, and we used perfect Masonic architecture to design them with all of the perfect angles and the right number of columns and all of the right sizes and shapes and we've put up statues of people and gods in front of them and we told ourselves it was all artwork oh yeah we were the greatest christian nation on earth now, were there Christians here? Of course, there were Christians here. Probably the vast majority of Americans at one point were Christians. And God used this nation to send missionaries around the world and take the gospel to the whole world. Yes, because God uses all things for his glory and our good. But that doesn't mean that our government or our people or all of those gargoyles overlooking Washington, D.C. were godly, or that the largest pagan idol in the entire world today sitting in New York Harbor is a god thing. But God used America. But did you know that that's not why our Constitution gives you the right to the freedom of religion because by the time they wrote that Christians weren't being persecuted in Europe you know who was being persecuted you know who was being burned at the stake it was the members of the secret societies it was the witches and the warlocks who were being burned and they put in our constitution freedom of religion to protect themselves, not you, not me, themselves, from those who would seek in the name of Jesus Christ to persecute and burn and hurt the witches 
the members of the secret societies. It was for their protection. And did you know that nowhere in Scripture are you promised life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Now, you're promised Jesus Christ. You're promised salvation if you place your faith in Him. But that's not for the world. And then there's this whole idea of why America became America. Did you know that the whole idea came from Plato, from Plato's Republic, and there was a book written by Sir Francis Bacon called The New Atlantis, and out of these books came the whole Constitution. Out of these books and these ideas came the Declaration of Independence. Out of these books came the first ten amendments, the Bill of Rights. Did you know that? Those rights were envisioned first by Plato, who was one of the devil's men. But we lied to ourselves. And you see, we've got to go back to the days when that tower fell, when Nimrod lost his power in Babylon and God separated men into tribes and tongues and nations. We just got to go back there. And we have to understand that Egypt tried to undo that and Greece tried to undo that and Rome tried to undo that and the Roman Catholic Church tried to undo that and England tried to undo that and Hitler tried to undo that and Stalin tried to undo that and the Muslim Empire tried to do that. But the most successful enterprise in all of history at undoing Babel has been the United States of America. We took in people from all over the world and we merged them into one people and we gave them one culture and we gave them one language and we undid Babel. And you say that's a good thing. No, the Bible says that we are to be one in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ through His church is uniting people. And I as a Christian and a Christian in China and a Christian in Africa and a Christian in Russia and a Christian in Australia and it doesn't matter where if we are saved, born again believers in Jesus Christ, we are one. And there is no distinction and there is no division. But to place that on the whole world of pagan unbelievers is the chief of sin. And we have cooperated with Satan forever in this attempt to unite pagans and unbelievers and ungodly people with one culture and one language as one people. And yeah, it's worked. I mean, I have Welsh and Scottish and Dutch in me. And my children have all of that, plus they have British, plus they have, from their mother's side, Arawak Indians and Portuguese. Yeah, they do. And we brought together the whole world. But when we started this, we were talking about a new world order. 
And they have always talked about a new world order. And on your dollar bill, it speaks of a new order of the ages. Then they started calling it a new world order. And President Bush stood up with tears in his eyes and the dreamiest look I've ever seen and spoke of the opportunity to build a new world order. And now, now we're, we're talking about a great reset, which is, a new order of the ages, which is a new world order, which is the kingdom of the beast, as the Bible would call it. And that's where we're going, you know. They're going to try to make of the whole world one people. They're going to try and give us all one language. Hey, it might be Chinese. I don't know. But they're going to try and give us all one language. And they're going to try to mix us up so that nobody knows whether they're Americans or Europeans or Asians. They don't like the people on the edges. They don't like black people. They don't like white people. They just assume that we kill each other off. Because what they want is one big world of brown people where everybody looks alike and nobody's different and nobody stands out just one big friendly world like it was before Babel one people one nation one world under Satan and that's where we're going and you say oh but God will win yes scripture tells us that Jesus comes back at Armageddon and the devil is bound and the Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the fire and Jesus rules from Jerusalem for a thousand years and then everything is made new, new earth, new heavens. And those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord will be forever with Him. And yes, we win in an eternal sense. But there are those verses that preachers hate and will not speak of. Those are the verses that say that the beast, the Antichrist, the man of sin, is given authority to make war against the saints and to overcome them. And then there's a little story in Revelation about how the saints who have been beheaded for their faith in Jesus Christ are under the throne and they're, they're crying out, Oh God, when will you avenge our death? And they're given white robes and told, Wait. Wait until the full number of those who are to be killed, even as you were killed, is fulfilled. Did you know there is a certain number of saints and Christians who have to be beheaded and God knows the number and those who are already in heaven waiting for God to avenge their death must wait until the day comes when the last one of those who are to be killed is killed and we are headed into those days and that is where we are now at the beginning of those days and the newest euphemism, as I said, for the new world order, this new order of the ages, 
This kingdom of the beast is now called the Great Reset. And on the day that the Great Reset happens, the kingdom of the beast will be born. And that will be the first day of the Great Tribulation. You can take my word for that. The day of the Great Reset is the birth of the kingdom of the beast and we're getting very close to that day very very close and as I close this out let me simply encourage you to preach the gospel preach the gospel and if they kill you for preaching the gospel, they kill you for preaching the gospel. And the victory is yours, not theirs. As you look your executioner in the face, you must understand that he faces an eternity in hell and you face an eternity with God in heaven. That you, not he, are the victor. It's your win and his loss. May God bless you in these wicked, evil, and awful days. And may God prepare your heart. May God make a warrior of you, one who will stand and fight. In the name of Jesus Christ, and win great victories for Him. And may you have an eternity in heaven with Him. And may you find your victory in the millennial kingdom as you rule and reign with him over those who were once your enemies. God bless you. You have a great rest of the day.